keeping customers is 25 times cheaper than adding a new customer. Companies realize that we have to hold on to the customers we have and not only hold on to them, but really understand how do we increase their revenue? How do we get them to buy the second product, third product? And that's what we help them do. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My guest today is Gaurav Bhattacharya, co-founder and CEO of Involve.ai. By predicting customer health through its use of artificial intelligence, Involve.ai's platform helps businesses reduce churn and accelerate growth. Gaurav, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Carol. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. So tell us a little bit more about Involve.ai. I mean, how does your platform help reduce churn and accelerate growth for businesses? Yeah, Carol, that's a great question. And and the the reason we started Involve.ai was all about customer centricity. Mm -hmm. We want the world to be more customer centric and we are very customer obsessed as founders One of the things that we were seeing that's not happening in the space is there's some amazing people that are there, but there's a lot of decisions that are built on gut and and very reactive. Only when a customer is unhappy, you reach out to them and you are firefighting a lot of times. Mm -hmm. We saw that companies kind of lose that core vision of customer centricity as they're growing because sales becomes more important. There's other technologies that come into play. It's about hiring and people. Mm-hmm. But at the at the core of it, it's all about being a customer-centric org. So we build this platform that's very data-driven that can plug in and unify multiple data sources that a company may have about, it, about its customers. We identify patterns in them using machine learning. So we figured out if what customers are are saying, how are they doing, what are they talking about, how are they using your product and services. Um, and as an example, any company can use us to figure out where the customer experience is at, wake up every morning and see a list of all their customer accounts, what the customer health is, which ones are going towards leaving and are unhappy, and also forecast which ones are really happy where there's upsell potential. And that's how we do it. We're really building and bringing a data-driven, proactive approach to and more specifically, an AI approach to a customer experience and improving customer health. So are you selling into customer success departments or customer experience, depending on who the company is, depending, of course, depends on what they call it, right? But is that who you're selling into those departments? That is correct. Yeah, we primarily users are customer success teams and customer service teams. We also have sales reps and sales teams use it a lot of broader go-to-market teams want to use it to understand which customers can we sell second or third products to do. So really understanding where the upsell potentials are. But the primary use case is for customer success teams to identify what are my accounts, how are they doing, what should we be proactive about, and how can we improve customer health? That's really interesting. So do you have some statistics on any of your customers and where they were able to interrupt, you know, a, a let's say a an unhappy customer before they ended up having churn? and being able to change that? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you our example because we have to eat our own dog food, right? So I'll give a really cool <laughs> story about 
kind of how this platform came about. So okay. Carol, we, this is my second startup. Right. Um, I started my first company right after high school mm-hmm. um, with my co-founder and we ran a patient experience platform for about seven years. Right. Had, had a successful exit, very customer focused on our core. The second company we started, both me and my co-founder are very passionate about giving back to the community. So mm-hmm. we built this employee engagement and volunteering platform that we called a, as a community platform. And the community platform did really well. It had about 450,000 users, multiple companies and employees from those companies were using it. However, churn was a massive issue for us. We would get people excited, stay on our platform for two or three months, but then leave and then drop off. So we, we just didn't have good product market fit. To solve that, we built this platform. We built in Wall.ai internally, which would capture data from multiple sources and really figure out how can we use these signals to prevent churn, increase upsells, and really improve our customer experience. So one example is we had this Fortune 100 company. We had some staff that were using it. It was a very small, like only a few thousand dollar account for us and just to keep them private. However, as, as our business wasn't doing well, we were almost about to run out of money. And, and almost when COVID hit, we had implemented Involve.ai for our customers. We figured out that this Fortune 100 company had the, the best usage among all the companies that we were using. And we also found out through our platform that some of the top VPs were talking about an expansion potential with our platform. So we just talked to them proactively and said, hey, mm-hmm. seems like you guys are really happy. There's something we can do with virtual volunteering and virtual events that could be really beneficial to your org. And being so massive, they were able to launch it in almost 120 countries in the world where their offices and locations are. And that became almost a $1.52 million account for us that helped us survive and stay in business. So just as an example, we were able to find that early warning signs that this customer, mm-hmm. some of the other customers are not happy, but this customer is extremely motivated. They're using the platform and maybe we can go in and provide them with a solution that can provide a lot of value, but also in, case, in return, give us the revenue that we need to survive and thrive as a company. That is so cool. I mean, what a great example of really having, looking for a solution for a problem that really needs to be solved, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's fantastic. And, and that company was acquired, yeah. That, that was our first business. So right. we decided to pivot. So this is our, still our second company. Okay. Uh, we haven't acquired this. This is not yet acquired. Uh, hopefully we can make this into a, uh, a, a big company, but it's yep. the same company. We just pivoted our product. Got it. So are, are you talking about in, involve soft or are you talking about, um, that is correct. okay. So I was going to ask you about that. So this was involve soft and, and so if you've done the pivot and the pivot has obviously made, has made a good deal of sense given, given your, uh, venture capital. So <laughs> you founded the company or I guess you've pivoted the company just last year in 2020. Yeah. That is correct. Yep. Okay. So since, and that was what time of year last year that you did that? It was October of last year. Okay. So less than a year ago. Yeah. Um, so in under a year, you've gotten a total of $18.5 million of funding, of which two and a half was your seed. And you just closed your A round in August uh, last month for $16 million. Yeah, it's it's, wow. it's big news. <laughs> <laughs> and and there what were about 10, uh, 10 different firms that invested in your A round, is that right? That is correct. Sapphire Ventures led around. Led it, um, yeah. Our partner there was Kathy Gao and we just had this instant amazing chemistry. She's she has an immigrant background very similar to me. Mm. Uh, we connected on a lot of fronts. She's a really big believer in what's happening in the world of customer success and customer experience mm-hmm. and she feels that 
um, adding intelligence and AI and more predictive modules is for the future. So we connected on a lot of levels and decided mm-hmm. it was the right, right time to partner with each other. Yeah, I really love that. And, and I think she's right on, you're right on target there because when you look at customer success or customer experience, you know, I've talked to people over the years and they're like, yeah, I've, you know, I, I have 150 accounts. I'm thinking, how do you possibly manage 150 accounts effectively? Yeah. So it's hard. Right. It's hard. Can you, can you share what your actual revenues are now or not? Uh, since we're private, we would not yeah. talk about the revenues. Okay. However, we're growing almost 40% month over month, given we just started okay. last year. We've, we've grown from about zero to you know, a, a lot of millions, multi-million every year in revenue. Um, and that's been, and that's been just because of the product market fit that we feel mm-hmm. we have. And the, the problem is big. A lot of companies understand with COVID, uh, especially post COVID that every customer is important. Keeping mm-hmm. customers is 25 times cheaper than adding a new customer. Yeah. And as, as COVID hit, budgets became tighter. Companies realized that we have to hold on to the accounts we have, to the customers we have, and not only hold on to them, but really understand how do we increase their revenue? How do we get them to buy the second product, third product, Mm -hmm. refer their friends to us? And that's what we help them do. That's so fantastic. How many customers do you have? We have about 22,000 users on the platform. Those are the paid users. Mm -hmm. And in terms of customers, we have about 55 companies that use us now. That's fantastic. In under a year. Under a year, yeah. <laughs> That's really terrific. So you have 40 employees currently, right? That is correct. Yep. Okay. How long did it take you to get to 40 employees when, yeah, you, when you pivoted a, the company last year? When we pivoted the company last year, we were about five people. And, okay. and Carol, we were about six people till just four months ago. And we grew from six Ooh. to 40 in the last four months. Our goal is to get to 60 by the end of the year and about 100 by the by February or March of next year. So we have rapid expansion goals. Okay. Uh, we're hiring across machine learning, across AI mm-hmm. engineers. We're looking for full stack developers, but also looking for amazing customer experience and sales reps that mm-hmm. have customer-centric approaches to working with our companies. Uh, so hiring across the board. Good. Well, and we'll come back to that a little bit later in the conversation. That's really wonderful. So how are you generally finding your prospects? Are you doing outbound? Marketing, inbound marketing, what does that look like for you? So far, we've been really bad at marketing, uh, Carol. I feel over just over a couple of months ago, uh, we were doing an excellent job in just getting inbound, word of mouth. We, we would land one customer, make them really happy, work really hard for them, and then ask them if they could refer us to their friends and peers in the industry. That strategy worked really well for us. We got a lot of, we have a customer advisory board that are our customers just helping us get our, make our product better, improve our learnings and just mm-hmm. accelerate that. That was a really good growth engine for us. And I think that's going to stay. But now that we have raised around, we're in, investing a lot in go-to-market, building a brand, having a press release, making sure that we have um, good messaging and, mm-hmm. and good positioning in the market. But but it's new. Uh, so we're still doing a lot of experimentation with inbound strategies, with outbound, mm-hmm. uh, but that growth engine hasn't picked up steam yet. It's, yeah. it's mostly been word of mouth, which is great. But at mm-hmm. the same time, we understand that this is not how we become the next Google or Salesforce. Well, right. I mean, you, you, you only have limited growth potential through word of mouth, right? You must, you must, you know, and, and I could tell you stories about companies that had horrible marketing that no longer exist, uh-huh. no matter how good they were. Okay. And that's, that's super, super important. So, so you uh, are very proud of the fact that you were born in India and you've now, you're now living in California. Uh, how old were you when you moved here to the States? Right after the comp- that, uh, my first company sold. So I was 22 
when I came here. Um, I am almost 30 now. So I've been here only eight years, but mm-hmm. I moved when I was 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Are your folks back there or are your folks here with you? Yeah, I, just a little bit about me. I lost my dad to cancer when I was two years old. Oh, I grew up in a very poor family. Lost mm-hmm. uh, My mother was a blue-collar worker. Yeah. Uh, she's still back in India, um, mm-hmm. and, and she she learned a lot. She, she taught herself English, and she started teaching underprivileged kids. Mm-hmm. That's what she, she did for the majority of, of her life. And um, now, finally, she's gone to retire, so she's enjoying herself now, taking some time to do yoga and walks. Um, hopefully, hopefully, we can get her here or we yeah. can reunite as a family, but, uh-huh. but um, I just have my mom back in, in New Delhi. That's great. I bet she's super proud of you, eh? I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I work really hard to make her proud mm-hmm. every day. I think that is one of my core missions. I feel like she's mm-hmm. contributed to my life so much and, mm-hmm. and all the moms around the world, right? Like yeah. I, I believe that all the moms are special and, and a lot of people who are successful, mm-hmm. they credit their mothers for it. I certainly do. Um, so I, I do want to make sure that I can make her proud every day. How would you say... Your background, if you kind of look through your background, your past to where you are today, it prepared you for where you are right now. I think it's positive and negative, Carol. I've thought a lot about this. Um, and what a great question to ask because I feel a lot of people have good upbringings and decent upbringings. A lot of people have difficult upbringings. And mm-hmm. there's positives and negatives of both. I feel that my upbringing being difficult taught me a lot of grit and determination. Yeah. So I, I never give up. I just never like to call it quits. And I, I just can't do it anymore. That's that's kind of when I would quit. And I, I, I usually never quit. That's kind of my motto. And I feel the grit and the determination comes from just having a difficult upbringing and having to kind of fend for food or, or make sure that we mm-hmm. have enough to fo- put food on the table. Um, on the flip side of it, what I have seen is that what I don't have and I've fought a lot is imposter syndrome. And and I'm sure, you know, you've you've worked so hard in your life to be so powerful and and, and being a woman in technology, you could probably relate to it. Yeah. Imposter syndrome kinda uh, mm-hmm. gets us, right? And yeah. we don't have we haven't been from a place of enough. We're always mm-hmm. questioning ourselves whether do we belong here? Is this yeah. the right opportunity? I, I sometimes just wake up and feel I'm going to take all the money from my investors and customers and let them down. And I have this really severe imposter syndrome that I'm always dealing with. Wow. I think that is a really difficult thing uh, from coming from my background. I have friends who come from upper middle class families or wealthy, mm-hmm. wealthy families. Mm-hmm. They don't have great grits hard for them. They give up easily. Although on the other hand, they're very confident. They don't have any imposter syndrome. So I feel my upbringing, you know, uh, gives me the opportunity to work hard and be gritty, but it also comes with a, a few negatives that I'm fighting with every day. That is such a great, a, a great point, Gaurav. I think that, it, and it's actually a really great segue to talk just a, for a minute about the difference between commitment and want. And, you know, talking about how you grew up and how you almost never, right? Always and never are hard words to use because they're so, they're so definitive, but how you almost never give up on anything. And that's what commitment is all about. Mm-hmm. Like if you're committed to something, you're going to keep going and going and going in the face of, I'm not interested. No, somebody hangs up on you. It doesn't work out the way you wanted it to today or tomorrow, or even the next day, as opposed to your comment about other people who, who give up more easily, right? Because they want something, but they're not actually committed to it. Does that, does that make sense? 
It does. It does. I'm a big yeah. believer of it. I think mm-hmm. I think if you want something bad enough and you're very committed to it, then yeah. you'll find a way or the universe will find a way for you, right? Right. Yeah, that's so fantastic. So, I mean, are there competitors in your market? Where, where do you fit in? Yeah, I think we're trying to carve our own space. Okay. Um, I'll give a quick background about the space. Customer success is a keyword. Yes. Um, Came out came about ten years ago before mm-hmm. it was known as account management right. or customer service. But right. being more proactive, um, I th- there's th- there's someone uh, Gainside as a company. I think believe I believe Nick Meta, the founder there, he started this terminology of customer success. So Gainside mm-hmm. is the biggest mm-hmm. player in the space. That was the first generation of customer success platforms that came out, and they've done an amazing job in defining the category. Mm-hmm winning the category and creating something extremely valuable. Then there were other platforms like Tango and Churn Zero mm-hmm. um, and other system of records that came about. And then there's like the third generation of companies, which mm-hmm. are startups like us, mm-hmm. where we feel that we fit in and not competing with Gainsight and the customer success platforms. We feel we can tie into them and augment them. The, what, what I would give the best example of is the sales has always has a CRM system that mm-hmm. Salesforce came out with, mm-hmm. but then there was a lot of sales intelligence stack that came on top of it. As an example, Gong is a $7 billion company now. Um, there's another company called Outreach. There's mm-hmm. companies like Insight Squared, Clary, mm-hmm. Sixth Sense. There's a lot of these big companies that have been able to build a really strong value proposition sitting on top of Salesforce's data. Right. We are trying to do the same thing for customer success. So we can build an intelligence layer and an AI-driven layer based on platforms that already exist in customer success and service. So on top of Zendesk, on top of ServiceNow, on top mm-hmm. of Gainsight to Tango, Churn Zero. So we hope to partner with these guys and, and hopefully become a strong partner to them Got where it. we can utilize what the, the core fundamentals that they've already built, but add our AI and intelligence layer and the data science layer on top of it. Love it. What would you say are the biggest challenges that you and or your competitors are facing in the industry right now or the market? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting question. I, I see a lot about challenges that we are particularly face as a small startup. Sure. But thinking about the industry, I feel the biggest challenge that could always exist is how does customer experience become more valuable than sales or as valuable as sales <laughs> does in, in a company and in the minds of the leadership? I think getting that mind share and educating people that customer-led growth is the way to go mm-hmm. and and how you can underinvest in uh, anything else, but if you can Im- invest in your uh, mm-hmm. in having a great product and a great customer experience, then almost all the things kind of sort out on its own. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a hard 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 challenge. And also want to make sure that we can empower the customer success chefs and the customer service teams to add as much value as sales and marketing does in an organization. I feel that's a pretty big challenge that all of us who are in the customer service space are are dealing with and trying to solve for. What, what do you think is the, the stumbling block or the blind spot among sales that has them feeling that way about this? Hmm. Can you tell me more? Can you give me an example? Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're saying how we want to be thought of how sales is thought of, right? So that means somebody in running sales organizations doesn't feel customer success is as important as they are. Hmm. If I'm hearing you correctly, right? Yeah, I, I think... If I'm I, understanding you correctly. I feel the way that... The organization's always been set up is is the it's the tip of the spear is the most important right like sales has always been the tip of the spear sales traditionally has been the platform 
to be able to go out and bring customers in. And that's what drives revenue. That's what drives the lifeline. That's what that's that's the kind of the, the first genesis of everything is sales. And I think that's why traditionally it's the most valuable piece of the organization. And I do feel, and I've studied these for many years, and if you go back and look at history, that sales is like the messengers that would go in and or the scouts that would find new territory or find new mm-hmm. food. These are the hunters, right? Mm-hmm. These are the people who are looking for land, who are looking to improve the territory. I think those people automatically have been very valuable. Mm-hmm. And then there's been the farmers who make sure that they take care of everybody and take care of the people and they take care of like making sure everyone has food. And that's kind of what customer service has traditionally been. Mm-hmm. I believe this it's both are valuable, both are equally valuable, but I do okay. feel that moving on, what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of different channels for growth that are coming in. There used to be sales-led growth, and then there was a concept of marketing-led growth, right? That came about inbound, and you were talking about marketing and how mm-hmm. that's so important, getting your messaging out. Apple is a core example for this. Google did an amazing job, and Amazon building a great brand, building a really good demand gen engine. Now uh, there's a time which talks about product-led growth, which means that you can just have self-serve. Automatically, people can sign up to your website. I, I signed up to your podcast mm-hmm. without talking to you, just as an mm-hmm. example. There's like a self-service component that's coming in. What, what that's going to drive as demand and sales becomes kind of more spread out amongst marketing and mm-hmm. customer success and amongst and amongst uh, product, we feel that the importance is going to be in land and expand, which means you get a customer yeah. easily and cheaply, and then mm-hmm. you expand them, which yeah. is the job of customer success and customer-facing teams. So I feel mm-hmm. over time, I don't know if we can, if CS and CX can become more valuable than sales, but mm-hmm. hopefully it becomes as valuable as sales in a company. Well, uh, you know, it's funny as you were, as I was listening to you, I'm thinking, well, you know, he's describing land and expand. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up, but I, I'm going to bring one other thing up that I would invite you and everyone else listening to this podcast, this particular one to consider the fact that there is actually no most important function because here's the thing without somebody building your product, Sales has nothing to sell. True. Without great salespeople, the product can be the best thing in the world. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Without having fantastic marketing, no one will know you exist. Mm-hmm. Without having a great customer success team that can that can help you land and ex- that can help you expand once you've landed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to your point, keeping customers is twenty five percent less expensive than acquiring new customers. I mean, that, you know, know, there's an ROI right there. So why are these things not looked upon equally? This is an issue. And this is something I'm frankly on a mission (laughs) to educate companies that every single one of these people in every single one of these roles is of equal importance because you cannot run as a unit without all those things working. If one of your organs in your body is not pulling its weight, the body gets sick. Yeah. Right. I and love that. and companies, are, I, 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 companies are really the same way. What do you see your clients wasting time and money on prior to them, you know, your prospects, I should say, prior to them becoming customers? Hmm. I, think, I think there's a missed opportunity in not being proactive. I think that's the biggest challenge that people are trying to solve when we talk to them because they have disparate sources of data, because they're firefighting every day. 
and not having a pulse or not having enough time in the day to be proactive mm-hmm. um, and not being able to scale customer service. Um, you, traditionally, customer service is scaled by adding more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel there's an opportunity to add technology, just how sales and marketing have figured out that we can use technology mm-hmm. to increase the rep per quota, the amount right. of amount of sales that a, a sales rep can do and, and amount of charity they can handle. I think that's, that's kind of the shift that we are trying to make in customer experience mm-hmm. where people can be proactive in reaching out to their customers and in identifying the needs that they have or and helping them if they're about if they're dissatisfied at the right time. I think that's the biggest kind of the cost or the ROI that we can bring to the table for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what would you say is the most outdated advice being given out in your industry? Ooh. <laughs> that's 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 a good one. I'll have to I'm I'm gonna noodle noodle on that. I, okay. I feel that there's there's so much advice that that's usually given uh, and and that could be that could be wrong or that could be outdated nothing comes to mind right now maybe okay. maybe let me think think a little bit on it if what you have an question. epiphany you can jump right in <laughs> okay so uh, you, you mentioned you have 22,000 users uh, at 55 customers uh-huh. how do you price your product is it is it per user is it how, what does that look like yeah, we recently changed our pricing model to not be per user, but by by the number of customers the company has Got and it. the number of data sources they're integrating with. Mm-hmm. The reason that we wanted to do it for the number of customers is to very closely be aligned with our customers' value prop, which means that at the end of the day, we are helping them retain their customers and expand yeah. and add more customers. Mm-hmm. If they do that and if they get more customers, we get to pay get paid more because that's the direct value. You know, a lot of times companies could be losing cu- customers but adding more employees. We don't want to charge them for that for that reason. So mm-hmm. we want to be very closely aligned with our value prop with Love what it. we're delivering, and and that's that's how we have priced it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's uh, that's really a. I mean, it's a win win. Mm-hmm. You win, think, we win. I think so. Exactly. And, and, and it's a way, it it's a way to really look at your clients as not just, you know, a, a, a dollar coming in. Yeah. Right. To, to actually what, what you're doing is creating, you're creating a true partnership. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, so you talked a little bit about, uh, you've gone from, you went from six to 40 employees in the last four months, you said, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that you want to be at about, at another um, 50% or 20 at, by about the end of the year. How do you plan to do that? You mentioned you're looking for, you know, developers, you know, and so on and so forth. But what's uh, the process you're going to go about doing that? I think the biggest one, Carol, that that I've learned in my short experience of being in companies and startups and mm-hmm. and and working with some amazing people, we are very culture first. And what that means is we have some core values. A few core mm-hmm. values are we look for people who are collaborative people who have a growth mindset, they're always curious, they always want to learn, irrespective of what they've learned in the past, they come mm-hmm. up with new things to learn every single day. Um, so growth mindset is key for us. We also mm-hmm. look for people who just are internally driven, that have a drive to do something, change some wrong in the world, or they want to prove someone someone wrong and they want to work hard towards it. So they're not extrinsically motivated, they're internally motivated. And a few others, mm-hmm. which basically means that we look for people who are just amazing culture fits, who kind of bring these values to the table and can be collaborative, work with each other, create something very meaningful and are very product obsessed and customer obsessed. That's who we look for first. And that's our big philosophy is no matter how we find them, we 
really work hard in bringing, almost like running it like a sales process where we build our pipeline. We, I talk to a lot of people, interview them. We have a process. We try to outbound cold reach out on LinkedIn. People we, we feel could be amazing fits for us. Mm-hmm. Um, people can apply online on our careers page. We do a lot of references, reward employees for references. But ultimately, we, we look for talent first and culture first and then experience second. Although it's yeah. extremely important, but that's what's more valuable for us. And then, yeah. um, and, and that's the kind of people we look for. Yeah, bravo. Uh, I, I'm sure I've said this on other podcasts, but it, it, this is a really appropriate time to mention it again, that over 50% of people leave companies in the first 18 months for reasons having nothing to do with their skills and abilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's so correct. Right? Yeah. I feel I feel the most important reason would be like the manager they work with if they're that's dissatisfied. That's right. People with them. leave managers. Right? They, don't leave, they don't leave. They don't leave. They don't leave. Companies. They leave managers. They don't leave jobs. Yeah, and then the second I feel I was doing, reading this research by Gartner. Second was mm-hmm. they talked about purpose. If they have a lack of purpose, they don't know how their work contributes to the company. So just having really, we believe in OKRs. We follow the Google's methodology of goal mm-hmm. setting. So we have objectives and key results that go from the top all the way to a single person and what they have to contribute. And I think mm-hmm. that's what gets people really excited and motivated. How do you, how do you describe your culture, Gaurav? Um, I, I think it's very open. It's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of things to improve as well. I, I wouldn't say yeah. that we, we don't have faults and, and things that mm-hmm. can get better. But I feel there's an openness to our culture where we are very um, um, true and honest with each other about a good fit, if it's not a good fit, we mentioned it early. There's positive feedback amongst each other. There's also negative feedback on what people need to improve on and get better. So there's mm-hmm. a sense of transparency. There's a sense of openness. There's a sense of purpose and mission. We all believe that you know we can help. We, what we are doing is amazing. It's path breaking. We're doing something very cool with technology, but also applying it to a meaningful place where we can be. We can bring a lot of value. Yeah, I really love that. What's your day to day look like as a leader? Ooh, that's, that's uh, a, a lot of Zoom calls. We're 100% remote. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would oh, say you that. are. Fantastic. Okay. We are. We're 100% remote. We're all spread across multiple places in the US, some employees in Argentina, Canada, and Russia as well. Uh, mm. But predominantly Austin, LA, San Francisco, New York City, Michigan. I mean, it's just everywhere. Uh, we have some hot spots that are starting. A lot of Zoom calls. I have a team mm. call every morning. We have weekly or daily scrums that different teams have. I sometimes hop in back and forth, mm-hmm. a lot of customer calls, but it's been Zoom first for me. I've, I've been on thousands of Zoom calls, I feel, ever since COVID started, but I feel this is the way to go in the future. Yeah. I, I, so what personally was the impetus for you to build a remote company versus start a yeah. headquarters and expand from there as the company matures? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Partly, I think it's your age, but... Yeah, but but yeah, but what I, is it? I would I would also say that I've I've thought a lot about this. Um, when when we started remote, uh, I, I was born a very shy kid, and I had to almost outgrow that shyness mm-hmm. by working hard on my communication skills, being able being comfortable talking to others. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, that's why I was such a passionate coder because I never wanted to talk to people. I would sit in my room eighteen hours a day, just code away build games, play video games. I was that, uh-huh. that kind of kid. Yeah, that kid. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, that kid. <laughs> I was that kid. And, and I do feel that deep down inside, I really enjoy like being an introvert. <laughs> so I think the first reaction 
to when we started going remote. I was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I, I don't have to step out of my house and be in my computer. That was the first reaction. So we were the early adopters of remote work. We even started as soon as COVID hit. A lot of companies were still meeting, I think, till March, April, May, June, July. And we were like the first to say, hey, COVID is not going to go away when summer hits. Mm-hmm. It feels bigger. Let's go. Let's go and let's be safe and let's practice social distancing. Let's practice what we preach. And we just fell into it. And I think over time, we just learned how to build culture, stay, mm-hmm. keep that remote culture. But that was the start of it, I believe. So what are your plans as far as getting these human beings together in the same room? Because that, that does change, doesn't change your culture, but it can, it can enhance it, right? It does. It does. I, we have a lot of ideas, Carol. I mm-hmm. think the, the biggest one that we are experimenting with is creating these small offices or even getting like these big off, like office houses. There's, there's a concept of Airbnb offices now, which is really? you get this place where you could have maybe rooms in the same house or you could have, I don't know, if, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm excited about this concept. A few bigger companies mm-hmm. are doing it. So let's say there's an, there's an office in Austin, which is um, there's a big lounge, which could be a working area for people. Mm-hmm. But there's also three or four rooms where if people are traveling, they can stay at the house, they can take a room and they can go meet their customers. But instead of having a hotel room, that could be a place that's reserved mm-hmm. for traveling salespeople, traveling people. But at the mm-hmm. same time, if there's people who are living around, they can meet there once a week for as an office hours or they can mm-hmm. meet together, um, uh, have breakfast, lunch together or be together in the same room and work together. Uh, that's a concept that we're intrigued by. We don't know how it's going to work, how appropriate it's going to be, how we can make it work and how we can make it secure and open for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's something that we're excited about. So it's going to be more hybrid work, we say, which is meeting together in person once a month or once every week, but ev- everything else will be remote. It, that's mm-hmm. our philosophy. So I, I want to step back a little bit to your A round from, uh, from last month. Uh, I mean, 60 million is a very large A round. <laughs> and, you know, it, to, to your point, you Sapphire Ventures led it. Where'd these other companies come from? And what, what do you believe that those other nine firms saw in Involve.ai that said, wow, this is something we need to get in on? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's a lot to do with momentum. Carol, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be very sincere. Mm-hmm. Uh, fundraising is really hard. It's extremely hard. I yes. feel that it's several times. I feel over the past 10 years, I've almost run out of money in multiple businesses at, at least four times where we we felt like we're about to die. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've tried to ask for money from smart people, from rich people, from <laughs> venture capitalists. Um, struggled a lot, failed a lot. I feel if you have a great business, then you can be very confident. I think a great, great team and great business and great fundamentals, and and they show in your confidence on how you pitch and what you think about the business. I so I would say that just as an example, last year for before we pivoted, I was out trying to fundraise and I almost got 120 no's, um, and I and I just had to stop because I wasn't successful and call it a failure. Um, this time around. We, we didn't have to pitch a lot. We had VCs coming to us. We found a great uh, partner in Cathy. Yep. Just felt like felt like it was a perfect fit. And after that, it was almost like everybody. Sapphire is a great brand name. So mm-hmm. when they were interested, some of our early investors wanted to come back in the round. It was yeah. like almost everybody wanted to join mm-hmm. the round. Which I'm saying that it it's very lucky. And I think we earned our luck by just mm-hmm. working really hard. Yeah, but before that, We've been in positions where we've worked really hard, but nothing works out. So right. I think I think there's some luck involved. There's some timing involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how the other firms got interested too, was 
primarily because we had momentum. We found mm-hmm. some great partners and, and they felt that we could build a great brand and that's, mm-hmm. that's our vision. You know, I think there, there's always maybe there, there's always a component of luck, but you know how do how how do people define luck when opportunity meets preparation, right? I love that. Yeah, that creates luck, uh-huh. right? So, is there any particular client that you can share publicly that there's a great story around them coming on board that you're particularly proud of, other than you having been a user and discovering it that way? <laughs> yeah, I think SEM Rush is a customer that I was talking about earlier. Okay. Um, I, I think that's a great customer. I think them, we found some amazing signals that get, that helped them create upsells and expansion potential. Mm-hmm. They went public. Um, I'm going to say that, you know, we had a small part to do with that. Uh, and and we, we worked really hard in their renewal base and the customers. They have about 80,000 customers. They're such mm-hmm. a great product. Just really identifying how can they improve upsells and expansions mm-hmm. was a key for them. Mm-hmm. Another early adopter of our platform was uh, Dave. Dave is a VP of customer success at a company called MZEMSI. And they're a very cool company as well. They're, they're a software as a service company. Mm-hmm. Um, they, what Dave's been able to do, and he's been such a proponent for our platform, he's taught us as a VP of account management and client success there. Really he's made his team proactive. They wake up every morning, they look at the dashboard, they're able to see what the customer experience is across each customer, measure it, proactively mm-hmm. go after it. I think that's been amazing. Just hearing his stories and what he thinks about our platform, the values brought for them is what we want to replicate across hundreds of other customers. Karav, at what point does a company say, this is a platform we need to get now? I mean, do they do that at one customer? Do they wait until they have 10 customers? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's different for each company, but I would say when you're at scale, uh, that's when you're, everything's breaking. So I would say you've surpassed your early product market fit. Maybe a company that has raised mm-hmm. the Series A, Series B, uh, maybe they've reached about 10 million in annual recurring revenue or 10 million ARR is a sweet spot to bring a platform like ours. I think that's when you have a renewal base that's substantial that can go from 10 to 20 million um, or at least keep that 10 million and, and that can increase your valuation. I think that's when a company can bring us on. That's fan- that's actually fantastic. And it gives me some ideas to refer to you. So uh, okay. we'll, do that when, we'll do that when we're offline. So if somebody listening to this podcast, Grav, is saying, wow, I love what this company's up to, uh, I, I'd be interested in exploring, maybe working for them. What, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, I think the first place to start would be to go to our website, which is involved.ai slash careers. The careers okay. page has all the jobs listed there. Feel free to apply. If there's no jobs that match your skill set, however, you're passionate about the company, you like what we do, mm-hmm. you feel there could be an opportunity for you and you fit our culture and our values, then feel free to email me directly. I'm Gaurav at involved.ai. I get a lot of emails. I read every single email. I respond to people. Could be potential customers, could be Mm -hmm. potential partners, or people who want to come and work with us. I'd be happy to talk to you and and see if there's an opportunity to work together. Great. So to to make a point, Garav is spelled G-A-U-R-A-V at involve, I-N-V-O-L-V-E dot A-I, just in case. uh, We don't want anybody sending it to the wrong guy. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, the, the funny part is I have like six, seven emails uh, that were created early on. I don't mm-hmm. know why, particularly for this reason, because my name is hard mm-hmm. and it's misspelled so often. Yes. So if you misspell my name, it probably still reach my inbox. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
Well, Gaurav Bhattacharya, co-founder and CEO of Involve.ai, this has been an absolute delight learning about your company. I wish you much, much, much success in your future. Thank you, Kyle. It was such a pleasure being here. Really enjoyed your questions. They were fantastic. Very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.